In a healthy relationship, we can both be in our own power, which means the ability to influence ourselves and still be connected. And we can have our own sense of self, our own interests, our own hobbies, or we call it self-differentiation. And the other partner doesn't feel threatened by that. I'm Krati Mehra, and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy, and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness, because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Welcome back to the show. I'm sharing my conversation with Nadine Macaluso, a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. And we are talking about abuse and dysfunction in relationships. Nadine is incredibly knowledgeable, insightful, and very easy to talk to, which I appreciated a great deal because when we talk about abuse in relationships, we need to be sensitive and considerate without tiptoeing around the issues. And I think Nadine did that wonderfully as she shared some of her extensive knowledge and expertise with me. Now, we all know that the health of our relationships has a deep and lasting impact on the quality of our life, performance, and health. So imagine what would happen to us, our self-esteem, self-belief, our ability to trust others, if we were ever to find ourselves stuck in a bond forged and sustained on the foundations of trauma and cycles of abuse which is why this episode is so important. As mentioned, Nadine and I talked about identifying, understanding, and healing abuse and dysfunction in relationships. Trained in NARM and somatic psychotherapy, Nadine emphasizes the mind-body connection when working with couples and individuals. Her personal and clinical expertise is in complex trauma, attachment, trauma bonds, and narcissism. Dr. Nadine is also the ex-wife to the infamous Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, and she uses her personal experience and her professional expertise to help others end or heal abusive relationships and find the strength to create something better and healthier. During this episode, we discuss trauma bonding, attachment styles, signs of abusive and unhealthy relationships, why we fall victim to and stay in abusive relationships, if it's possible to take apart the dysfunction and build something better and healthier, setting strong boundaries as a defense against abuse and to nurture our relationships. What does a healthy relationship look like? How to recognize and differentiate between genuine remorse and empty apologies? How do you continue to nurture your individuality without taking away from your relationships? And so much more. So let's dive in. I'm so grateful that you're making time for this interview. Thank you so much for that. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I love to share my knowledge. Yeah. And it's always, you know, such a privilege to talk to people who whatever their area of expertise is, it's built on personal experience. It's built on personal pain. So that always makes it, you know, first of all, it makes it a privilege to be able to talk to them because it's not always the most pleasant thing to keep taking them back to what they have, you know, they have experienced. But at the same time, what you get from people like that is always so profound and it's always so much more, I think, effective in helping others because the empathy there is so strong and yeah, and it's so useful and the answers you get, there is something there, I think that 
really is very effective in helping others. So now can we know a little bit about you for the listeners who are not already familiar with your work? Well, sure. Yes. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so that means that I work with mood disorders, personality disorders, anxiety, depression, borderline personality disorder, relationship issues, love issues. And then I also have my doctorate in somatic psychotherapy which really is a very fancy way to say that we incorporate the body and the mind in the therapeutic encounter. And I also am an expert on attachment theory, developmental trauma, which is trauma that we have on early in life, on dysfunctional relationships called trauma bonds. And so I have a lot of different topics that I can talk yes. about. Yes. <laughs> Super excited about this. Uh, so can we start with trauma bonding? Because I think that's a concept that not many people are aware of, even though it is, I think, something that everyone should know about and look out for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it's really an important new term that uh, people are using more in the zeitgeist, at least in the West over here. And so a trauma bond... The way I simply like to define it is a bond between two people in this context. I mean, in the, for this interview, we're going to say two lovers, you know, two intimate partners, whether it's man, woman, you know, what, whatever those partners look like. And um, within that relationship, there's deep intensity and bonding and attachment yet it's also mixed with fear, betrayal, abuse, substance abuse sometimes. And uh, so what happens is that one of the people in the relationship gets bonded usually to a person that's highly abusive to them, emotionally, physically, sexually, they can exploit them, they'll lie to them, they'll cheat on them, and there's a deep sense of betrayal. Right, and I think there is something that fuels relationships like that. I don't think it's like a run off the mill thing. I think there is desperation and there's a lot of need that fuels relationships like that because of which we are unable to see the signs and step away from those relationships as we should. So uh, yeah, can we talk about like the attachment style or what it is you think that's fueling these relationships? What are the signs to look for and how we can yeah make sure that we're not falling a victim to it? Yeah. And so the thing with a trauma bond is one of the partners, if, if we think about attachment, we'll go through the attachment lens. So we know from 1950s, in the 1950s, John Bowlby discovered attachment theory. And what that means is that children bond to their parents, not because their parents feed them, but because they need their parents' responsiveness and accessibility to live. And so based upon the way that your parents love you or didn't love you, you know, some parents don't always abuse their children. They can be emotionally neglectful. That will create whether you have a secure attachment to your parent and an, or an insecure attachment. And then once that attachment map is in your brain and body and nervous system, that really becomes a map and a model for how you interact in your love relationships. And a lot of people that get into trauma bonds have insecure attachment. Right. So they could have under that umbrella, 
you could have avoid and attachment, meaning you want to maybe avoid closeness and you want to keep your distance. Yeah. You could have anxious attachment where you're like, you're more clingy and you're more needy. Yeah. Or you can have anxious avoidance or fearful avoidant attachment. And that's a doozy because you long for connection, but you fear it and you avoid it. And so usually a trauma bond is with a person that has a fearful avoidant attachment and someone else has an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment. Okay. Yeah. So insecure attachments are the ones that get caught up in these trauma bonds. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it is true that at any age, at any point in life, no matter how deep the trauma goes, you can take apart that dysfunction and build something better in its place. Completely. We all are built for secure attachment. So a trauma bond can actually be as painful as it is a good experience to kind of wake you up out of your insecure attachment. And so that you, as you said, deconstruct your dysfunction and start to build secure attachment for yourself with a therapist or, you know, someone who really understands it. Yes. Um, but I think it begins with noticing that things are not exactly as they should be. But I, I, as I am someone who even despite all that, all the reading and the research I've done on it, I don't quite understand how people can miss the signs of it, how they can, you know, stay in a relationship like that. But there has to be more to it than that. Nobody wants to stay in an abusive relationship. No, no, no. And, and so the reason why a trauma bond is tricky because originally it starts out with so much infatuation and love and passion and a lot of times people mistake an intensity for love yes right? yes and that doesn't necessarily mean it's love and so usually a person who has a fearful avoidant attachment and who is more the uh, person in charge in the relationship they will use something called love bombing which they will just bomb you with love and affection and adoration and flowers and gifts and jewelry and they do it at a very quick pace yeah to get their partner sucked into the vortex but once their partner starts to set boundaries they don't like that they'll usually throw a fit yeah right or when the partner says you know what i know you really need to do it this way but i would like to do it this way they'll start to throw a fit and if you don't know that someone who, when you set setting boundaries in a relationship is very healthy, but with someone in a trauma bond, when you do that and they don't allow you and they, then they get angry, that's a sign. Don't ignore it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you have needs and they get angry, don't ignore it. And what they'll do is they're very charming. They're like James Bond. You know, we all love James Bond, <laughs> yes, right? Of course. <laughs> so we can see how we could fall for them. And so they're very charming and they're very manipulative. And you, if you don't understand that, you fall for their charm. And then when they show you the other side, you're, you're kind of like, what? What happens? And it's called cognitive dissonance. It's that these two experiences of the same person don't match. Yeah. And that's when we start to not believe ourselves as the partner. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it, it's very, it's very basic. If I am, if I love someone, I want them to be comfortable in that relationship, which right. means that I will learn about their boundaries. I wouldn't wait for them to set them for me. I would act actively learn about their boundaries yes. and notice 
what I'm doing that's making them uncomfortable. It would make me uncomfortable to know that the person I'm with is uncomfortable because of something I'm doing. Right. But despite that, people completely miss that. But what you've shared makes, you know, it makes sort of shed some light on it, makes it a little more understandable. Yeah. So instead of asking you for relationship red flags, I would rather ask you what you think a healthy relationship looks like. Sure. So a healthy relationship is one where you can trust the person and there's a high level of commitment and there's a high level of respect and there's a willingness to be vulnerable. And because in a healthy relationship, you want to get to know the person. You don't want to control the person. In a trauma bond, one of the partners really wants to control and have power and dominate the other person. In a healthy relationship, we can both be in our own power, which means the ability to influence ourselves and still be connected. And we can have our own sense of self, our own interests, our own hobbies, or we call it self-differentiation. And the other partner doesn't feel threatened by that. Right. Right? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have a few quick questions here that I often get from uh, people in response to my articles on the subject. Okay, uh, one of the questions that I get is, I want to be prioritized in my relationship above everyone else in this person's life. Is that healthy or not? Yeah, that's okay. Sure. I mean, unless, you know, you have children, right? Because then that's a different topic. But yeah, you know, the thing with a love relationship is that you want to know that your partner has your back, your partner's on your side. And if you decide to really commit even deeper into the relationship, uh, Stan Tatkin calls it a, cu a couple bubble. You want to know that you, when, when you're in trouble, you're in the bunker with that person. If you have something good happen, that's the first person you call. You have something bad happen, that's the first person you call, right? But that doesn't mean that you can't have other relationships and other interests, right? That's, that's healthy. You have to have your own sense of self and have your own value and sense of self-worth separate from that person. But it's okay, sure, to be, to be a very important person in your partner's life. Okay, that helps. But as the relationship progresses and you communicate your needs and your boundaries to the other person and they continue to ignore all of those things, they keep hurting you. I know that there is such a thing as forgiveness and you give the person another chance, but how many chances there, do there need to be? At How do you recognize genuine remorse at, versus the person just wanting to, you know, wanting you to stay in that relationship even though they don't really have any intention of changing. How do you figure that out? Right. So here's the thing is that all relationships have ruptures. All relationships have problems. Of course. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, when people come to me for couples counseling, I say to them, most relationships have one to three issues that they will probably have to manage throughout their relationship. And they'll get better at that, right? That's just so we all have ruptures and repairs, ruptures and repairs. And when we repair, we can deepen the intimacy. Now, the difference is in a trauma bond, when you say to somebody, this is what I need from you. And then they say, I'm not going to give you that. No, I can't do that. That's no, love is giving people what you need, not what you think they need, right? So, right. or some people in a trauma, uh, 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 the perpetrator in trauma bond might say, yes, of course I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to do that. And then next time do it over and over. Do the same thing. Do the same thing, 
right? So then you have to say, okay, I'm not in the tell me phase. I'm in the show me phase. Yeah. Right. And so listen, it takes time to get to know somebody and trust has to be earned, but it just depends upon also, do you feel like you're valuable enough to love? Yeah. Yeah. True. That that's true. I think that's where it starts. How do you feel about yourself? Right. I think we would accept a lot of crap when we don't think we deserve to be treated any differently. That's right. That's right. And you know, unfortunately, well, at least in the West, you know, all the movies I grew up with, because I'm old, but in the eighties and nineties, like Pretty Woman and Wall Street, and you know, they always showed these like rich guys sweeping these girls off their feet and then all falling madly in love. And that's not really love. That's a myth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, in fact, this is like very personal to me. I always get so annoyed when I read these articles about how to make someone fall in love, and there would be these uh tips where you take someone on a roller coaster and or you take someone on and I'm thinking you really want a, an adrenaline fueled relationship how is that even going to work like you're gonna have to stop at some point and you will have to face a mundane routine yes. and you know the the usual humdrum life what is gonna happen then right 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 you know right and and right some people do get addicted to that drama and that's the love, you know, fighting and making up and fighting and making up. That's very different than healthy rupture and repair. Because you live with somebody, you're going to argue with them. <laughs> yeah. Right? Exactly. Some people, right, they are addicted to, uh, they have love addiction or they're, they're um, addicted to the drama of a relationship. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We glorify Romeo and Juliet, even though it makes no sense. First of all, they were teenagers. Second of all, everything that it sounds exhausting to me and nobody with a career can sustain nobody that. Nobody with a career can sustain that because it would take up your whole entire life, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, did, it did literally consume their life. That's right. That's right. It did. Yes. Okay. So um, I think one of the things that I want to talk about, one of the, I think the healthier things that we can do for the listeners is talk about how someone can maintain their individuality uh, yes. If even if you were to like step away from trauma bond for a second, even in an right. ordinary normal relationship, how do you continue to nurture your individuality without, uh, you know, taking away from your relationship? Yeah. So I mean, listen, we all have a self, <laughs> right? We all have our own individual self that has its own interests, its own beliefs, its own values, its own authenticity, and so. That's why I like to do somatic psychotherapy because a lot of times the ego, which lives in the mind, but I always say the self lives in the body. And so when we do fall in love, initially there is this like merging stage where we become one and it feels good. But just like children have developmental stages, love has developmental stages. And so, you know, even though we fall madly in love and we get into that merging stage, the healthy part of love too is when we go into the next stage of differentiation, which is the ability to have your own desires, your own needs, your own values, your own moral compass to return to, your own set of friends, and to nurture those things and people within yourself. Because one person cannot fulfill your whole life either, right? Even though they can be that your one person to really go to, you can't rely on them for everything. That's insane. Yeah. So you have to nurture those things within yourself. 
and not just rely on them to give you a life. That makes sense. And I, wouldn't you agree that it? I think relationships thrive more when you do have a like an individual uh, life because I think then when you do have a fight instead of like falling apart and being devastated as you would be if this person was the be all and end all in your life. If you had an individual life, you could step away, recuperate and come back and fix that. Yes. And I think having your own life also gives you like your same perspective because, you know, like I could have an argument with my husband, but I got to go to work all day. Bye. See you later. Yeah. Right. But if I'm sitting home crying about him and I'm hyper focused on him. Yeah. That's not going to be healthy for me because then I've lost my sense of self. So it doesn't have to be work. It can be hobbies. It can be interests. It could be education. It can be a, a myriad of things, but you have to nurture your own self, your own self-care, your own self-worth, your own sense of security for sure. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of... And you're, and you're also more interesting. Yes, of course. Right? Like, I, like I, I don't want somebody who's just like me. Exactly. Or That's just relies like, on me for everything. That's too much pressure for the other person. Yeah. I mean, they, they do say that like some things have to match like your ideologies and your values, yes. but you know, yeah. with, with everything else, you want this other person to bring like a whole different flavor to your life. That's right. But in your experience, like I'm sure you've worked with like so many clients and you must've seen a lot of dysfunction. So no, have no. you? <laughs> in my own life too. I'm not judging anybody for myself too. Yeah. Of course, like no judgment here, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, but considering all of that, do you think that there are certain like typical traits to the people who do attract dysfunction? Right. There is. I think, I think that um, for the perpetrator in the trauma bond, I mean, the, a trauma bond is interesting because there's, there's three different parts. There's a rescuer, there's a victim, and there's a perpetrator. But a lot of times everybody's switching <laughs> Like a lot of times they can switch, you know, like one time the perpetrator's rescuing, then he thinks he's the victim, but then he's the perpetrator. But I would say that the person who's really the dominant force in the relationship is usually controlling, right. wants to win, usually ha can have a very bad temper and have a lot of anger and use fear to control and dominate and threat and intimidation. Right. And I've seen that in my room. And I named it. Yeah, of course. So they're usually narcissistic or something I call the dark tetrad, which is narcissism, psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and sadism. So now we put them under one umbrella. Yeah. And then the, the people in the relationship with them, a lot of people will say that they're codependent. I don't necessarily agree with that. Yes, they might have codependent qualities, but there's much deeper research that shows that a lot of these people are good people that are simply trustworthy, tolerant, and open and value relationships and highly conscientious and agreeable. And so when I see those two mix, I'm like, oh boy, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Then how do you like counsel those people? Because if you notice a pattern like that, it's, it's telling you that this is like blatant dysfunction then how do you navigate a case like that? Yeah, so I've learned through my own mistakes. Um, you, you, a lot of times, if let's just say a, a female comes in and not to say all male or the perpetrators are all female, it's not 
but mostly the research shows it's 80 75 25 or something like that and i'll say to them you know you're in a trauma bond and it's dysfunctional and you need to leave i'll say that i used to say that on the first appointment i don't say that anymore because sometimes they don't come back <laughs> okay <laughs> so now i ease a little bit more into it yeah. i give my patients a lot of uh, psychological quizzes and assessments so it, this is not just based upon what i see this is based upon what their tests give me right and then what right. they tell me and when i work with couples i name it right there in front of both of them and you know what you're coming to me for my education yes right and i wouldn't be doing the shop if i didn't think most people can change and even people that maybe are the perpetrator can change if they want to. However, I am not going to sit back and watch somebody be very abused. Like you can't force somebody to leave anybody else. And as a therapist, that's not your job. However, it is your job to keep them safe. Yeah. And I, that I take very seriously. So I'm very direct with my patients again, because I give them so many assessments, I give them back their assessments. We collaborate and I tell them, this is what I'm seeing. And then they get to, we both get to decide how it unfolds. Yeah. But I've helped a lot of women through it. I've helped, helped couples through it. And the perpetrators, not so much. Okay. Okay. That's a grim thought. Like not a lot of people are willing to change, but yeah. it, it makes sense. It, makes sense considering all the research that we have read on the subject there is something so deep-seated there probably cruelty from their childhood or uh, you know the abuse of a magnitude that's not i think it would benefit them to work on it on an individual level before they yes, become exactly yeah exactly exactly so i've seen people where the couple has come in we've named that and then they'll go do their own individual therapy and that works the best when i'm working with a couple and then they go do their own therapy a lot of change can happen that makes sense and there is abuse of you know different kinds and there is discomfort and pain and constant sort of yeah threats intimidation coercion right yeah. yes so or even like very what appears to be very mild like your partner constantly mocking you in front of others or you know or, belittling you or dismissing you things like that that we often just you know uh, ignore as oh no he didn't mean anything by it so in situations like that of course you already talked about how having your own life having your independence is going to help you a lot to not fall victim to patterns like that right and right can correct. we talk about why people continue to stay in situations like that even though there is this constant pain but some first sometimes uh, let's just also say sometimes there are children there of course and a lot of times women do not want to leave the children with a person like that so they have to wait to a point where they feel like they have it somewhat figured out where their spouse that's abusive won't be able to see the children that often yeah. right so um but here's the thing is that a lot of times very high achieving people that really value relationships end up with these people right and so they want to do anything to make it work and see it through right okay because they don't understand that what they're dealing with is very dark 
And so if you don't really know about the dark tetrad and you don't understand about this sort of personality pattern, you know, and you're very trusting and straightforward and you're giving and you're cooperative and you're humble and you have empathy and you're loyal, those traits are in you and they're beautiful, but then they can get turned against you. Okay. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of research that also, if you are financially dependent on your partner, right, it can be hard to leave. And so I think the work here is to not shame the people that stay or try to figure it out. Okay. Okay. You know, I think our work, like from my perspective in all these years of doing this and having lived through it myself, is that the work is really to focus on the perpetrator. Because if we don't somewhat heal that perpetrator and he ha they have children that they're abusing, that lineage just continues. I see that. Yeah. Right? So people stay for, for a myriad of reasons. And then guess what? One day they don't. Yeah. And they have to really be that one to make that decision. Yes, I agree. I agree with you there. That in of itself is empowering. Yeah. You know, I'll give you an example. I worked with a woman for many years. She never really quite told me the severity of the abuse. And then a few months ago, she finally started to tell me. And I said, okay, this is what you got to do. You got to next time some, he gets physical with you, you got to call the police and get a restraining order. Okay. And she did. But when she was ready, right? Yeah. Yeah. I gave her the tools of how to do it and I laid it out for her. But then I have to sit back and trust the process. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see when that happens. It really is. It really is. And she's doing great and he's still not seen her nor the kids, you know, and she's dealing with it. She handled it really well, but it had to be in her time. Right. And if we flip the switch here and uh, like if we talk about people, although, yeah, of course, I think anybody who is perpetuating cruelty against anyone, um, it's it's a horrible thing to do, but I think sometimes people are genuinely ignorant of what they're doing to someone else. They are they genuinely yes. don't realize that what they're doing here is causing un like causing damage of something that goes so deep that yeah. it's breaking the other person's spirit. So addressing yes. people who may be guilty of that, what are the signs that they can look for? Because if we don't go to the extent where there is domestic violence or uh, sexual coercion right. or anything of that nature, but maybe they're guilty of dismissive behavior or they're guilty of ignoring or being negligent, talking on that level. Yeah. What it is that they can look out for to make sure that they are not guilty of this kind of behavior. Do you mean the person who's receiving it or? The, the, the person who is responsible for creating that environment. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so that's where the issue lies, right? Because there's, um, there's a few things I want to say about that. Okay, first of all, there's empathy. Most of these perpetrators do not have empathy. And there's, there's a word we use called callousness, yes. meaning that we, a person doesn't un care about the impact they're having on a person. They're so entitled and they're so selfish and self-absorbed that what they want when they want is all that matters. And they honestly believe that. And they're not capable, you know, you and I are talking and I'm thinking about my mind, about your mind, about what I'm feeling, what you're feeling. That's called theory of mind or mentalization. Yeah. A lot of times these people in the dark tetrad are not capable of it. You know, they, they're not until you bring it to their attention. Like, 
So you, how do you think that's going to affect your child when you, when they, you know, urinate in the bed and you call them, a, I'm not an effing idiot. How do you think a six-year-old feels about that? Oh, I didn't think about that. Well, maybe you should, right? They don't have the capacity to think necessarily about other people. But have you seen a change like that happen to anyone that you have counseled? And yes, I have. I have. It's not the norm, but it definitely can happen. Yep. And it, well, listen, it's just like anything, right? Personality disorders. If you think of the dark tetrad or narcissism or borderline, they run on a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like some people are not as intense. Some people are in the middle and some people are, you know, have all of the traits of the personality disorder. So people are very nuanced in that way. Okay. And uh, do you, does your website, like, I know you are referring to dark tetrad here and is there, is it like, are there resources yeah. that people can uh, access? Just put your, yeah, on my website. Um, and I have a whole four page thing that I wrote about it after two years of researching it. If you just put in the word, you'll be shocked right. at how, you know, how much the information there is about it, but it's becoming more and more apparent because of, Harvey Weinstein in the West, Jeffrey Epstein, the priest, the Boy Scouts, right? We had to figure this yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, these abuses of power are not healthy. Yeah. And I think literature is very powerful. Sometimes you read one sentence and it, you know, connects with you on such a visceral level that you suddenly wake up and it's like you can see things that were invisible to you. It's so true, but you have to, you know, the brain loves, the emotional brain especially loves categories. So we need to put names to things, right? We need to categorize things. And so then we can see them coming, right? Right. Because unless you have all these words, it's like, it's like, uh, we call it spaghetti brain or salad, word salad, you know? Yeah. You don't know what's happening. You mix love and thread and passion and desire and fear. Right hard to figure it out okay that, <laughs> that's helpful i dove into your website i've got, already got links that i love so i'm going to share all of that but um i want to move on to something more uh, positive <laughs> something happier but first may i ask like you are an expert so this is something i love asking all the expert guests on the show uh as in when i'm sure like you continue to have problems because you're evolved you're changing your needs change so now when you hit a bump in your relationship with your partner, what is your go-to method to navigate that? Oh, my poor husband. Could you imagine? <laughs> it's not good. Well, I, you know what? It, I am very calm and I state what I need and I set my boundaries and, and we go from there. That's, you know, that's really it. And we're all growing and learning and changing, both of us. Would you say that it's okay to outgrow people? I know a lot of the time we are, we don't want to leave anyone behind, but. It is, a, you know, here's the thing, okay. Marriage, I don't even know. I really should know this. Do you know the year that marriage was invented? I don't know. It's an experiment in the West, right? But when, when it did happen, we were only living till 30. We're living till eight, the average age expectancy of a female in the United States is 84.5 or something, right? Right. Right. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to stay married to the same person for 50 years? Now, with that being said, in one marriage, you can have a first marriage, a second, and a third because you can grow together. Right. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Completely, you can. Completely. But again, both parties have to be willing to grow and do the yeah. work. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is a great, great answer because someone would describe their relationship. Basically, what they're describing to you, they're indirectly telling you that I don't see why I should stay, but it seems to be the right thing to do. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, we all have a little voice inside of us like that. So if we think about the body where I said the self lives, if, if you go from like your chest to your pelvis, right, that midline, you know, when we feel feelings, we don't feel it in our knee or elbow. We feel it here. So a lot of times we override those feelings and, and those gut sensations. Trust them, you know, trust them and see what happens. But to do something just because you should do it will never work. That that makes sense. And you've shared something beautiful here that you can, even in one marriage, you can have like a marriage, one marriage, second that's marriage. Right. And that, that makes it that, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, I'm with my second husband for 23 years. And, it, and again, though, it does take doing the work and caring to do the work, right? Yes, yeah. Okay, so um, another thing that I wanted to discuss with you, like in, during the pandemic, a lot of divorces and broken relationships uh, were one of the repercussions of the pandemic. I think adversity brings out different shades in our character. I think adversity can be very good for you. So addressing people who are going through that phase where they're, they're you know, the this relationship is in its last stages. Uh, why do you think it could be a good thing for the relationship to die out? Perhaps it's making space for something better or how do they, yeah. like, what perspective do they maintain in phases like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, here's the thing, right? Nobody learns about themselves in an igloo. Like if we lived in an igloo, we wouldn't know anything about ourselves. We learn about ourselves while we're in relationships. So even if a relationship fails, um, like my first marriage did to the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, that relationship taught me so much about myself. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. That I had to look at myself. So even if your relationship ends, right? You know, I'm sure that you learned a lot about yourself, things that you want to keep, things that you want to change, things that you won't stand for in a relationship. So I never looked at look at it them as a failure. I look at it as an ending and change is inevitable too. Yeah. You know, we do change, things do change. And what did you learn? How do you make meaning out of an ending? Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I when I was in my first marriage, you know, it would have been so easy to blame him because he was so crazy, right? With the drugs and the women and the stocks and all that and the fraud. However, I had to look at myself. Yeah. Why did I put that put up with that? What initially drew me into that? What was lacking within me? Yeah. And then I, then I really could go do the work of myself on uh, with therapy. And then that even inspired me to become a therapist. So here you go. You never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great example. It feels so good to, you know, to go through something painful, learn from it, and then teach people. All right. So the key here is to attach meaning to the grief. Yes. And not value in it and build something out of it, perhaps. Right, right. I mean, listen, feel your feelings, cry, throw yourself on the bed, scream, throw a pillow, and then move on and learn. Right. Right? Yeah. Because endings are inevitable, but that doesn't mean you're never going to meet anybody. And also, this is a very important thing. Watch what you tell yourself. Yeah. A lot of times my young girls are like, I'm never going to meet anybody. I'm too clingy. I'm too needy. I said, well, if you're putting your daughter to sleep or son to sleep, are you going to tell them that fairy tale? 
One day you're going to become an adult. You're never going to meet anybody. Life's going to be miserable. Yeah. Don't break up yourself. If you break up, soothe yourself. Yeah. Be kind. Have self-compassion. Say, that's okay. You learned this. You you learned that. You're going to meet somebody else. You're going to grow. But can we uh, put this idea out there? I think you're an authority on the subject. I would love to get your take on it. Love can look different for different people. Like I'm someone, as, as I shared, I'm very independent. I do not need anyone doing, I, I like it when a guy shows me respect by not trying to help me in every area of my life. You know, some women take it as chivalry. I take it as condescension. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I just think that's who I am. Yeah, but that's your own that's your own authenticity, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, love can look very different for, for different people. I mean, you have an anxious and avoidant person, sometimes the anxious person um is always trying to get the avoidant attention, right? And then and then when the that partner doesn't pay attention, the or the, the avoidant person then like then the anxious person throws a fit and then the avoidant person comes in and then the anxious person goes away. So we call that pursuer distancer, right? So, or some people can have to avoid an attachment and both be very self-reliant and, you know, just only need the person like in the house, but not in the room. Right. Right. And, and some, you know, it just depends upon the temperament of the person and the attachment style of the person, what that relationship is going to look like. You know, some people want to jump out of airplanes together. Some people want to go to dinner and have wine, you know, some people want to have kids. Some people don't want to have kids. There's same sex marriages. I mean, there's all different types of love. But love must have commitment, trust, yeah. respect. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and can can you please uh, recommend some resources that you absolutely love and that you would want people to go through so that they can learn more about this topic? Because I think what you shared, if people knew more about it, they would be more alert to their own patterns. That would really help them. Yes, I, I think so too. So there's a, there's a lot of great books. Um, if you want to learn specifically about trauma bonds, you can. There's a book called The Betrayal Bond by Patrick Carnes. Okay. Excellent, excellent book. If you want to learn about attachment, there's a great basic book called Attached. And you can just also Google Diane Poole Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. She's been studying attachment forever. And if you want a great book about love and differentiation, I highly recommend uh, David Schnark's book, A Passionate Marriage. Great, Great, great book. And I'm trying to think, and if you want to really learn about Dark Tetrad Men by the book, Women Who Love Psychopaths, not the prettiest cover, put a pool, put a cover on if you're at the pool, okay? And then, um, you know, and then just Google words and there's tons of three piece articles. Yeah. And then if you want to read a, a great book about loving, because loving really is an art, and it is a practice yeah. um, in 1959, Eric Fromm wrote The Art of Loving, which is still a great book. Okay. I, I would like to read that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little small one. And then one other one I want to say, if you really want to understand attachment and love and the issues that come up, Sue Johnson does something called emotionally focused therapy. Okay. And look her up and you can find everything you want there. Perfect. 
that's that's great i'm going to share all of these links and i know your website has a lot of resources i think that would be like a good one place to hit yeah dr nadine macalusa which i'm sure you'll have my crazy last name how to spell that uh, you can, yeah you can, i have tons of articles and things that you can read about all of these topics yes yeah and your youtube channel is also there i think that's also very like it's it's a good space where you can just let down your guard and just start learning and yeah it's a safe space yeah it's a safe space and you know we talk about uh, relationships anxiety depression eating disorders you know we're complex human beings <laughs> of course of course that, that's true um and if you were only allowed to give one advice to our listeners uh, what would that advice be only one advice that could help them live a better life get to know yourself you know in in at the delphi oracle in greece that said know thyself and i think the greatest gift you can give to yourself is to get curious about yourself that was the amazing Nadine Macaluso. If you want to know more about our guest or you want to explore the resources mentioned during the episode, the links will be in the episode description. If you want to dive into similar content, go to my website, kratimehra.com, and there's a whole bunch of them for you to explore. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, please do rate and review the show on iTunes and share the episode on Instagram. It will help the show grow and reach a wider audience. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. Now I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.